Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 9, Hide and Q. And uh, another episode with Q in it as uh, the, the mysterious, all-powerful entity returns. Uh, Paul, to, to talk about this episode, we have the all-powerful Jacob Rosdale joining us. Uh, Jacob, thanks for joining us on, on this show. Well, thank you very much for having me. I love Q. Or I did. Uh, we can get into that. <laughs> oh, there's. Uh, it sounds like there's a lot there. Very nice. Well, uh, when you, I was really glad you introduced me, or uh, invited me to uh, be on your podcast. Burns and I were college roommates, and uh, we watched a lot of Star Trek lot. Uh, together in the dorm room. And before that, like in the period between like fourth and sixth grade, I watched a lot of uh, TNG and DS9, and Voyager was just starting on. Then I discovered Girls and <laughs> put it on the shelf for a while. I wasn't very Girls didn't discover me. I'll be specific about that. But like I had to put on airs that I wasn't as nerdy. And I remember in those early days of watching The Next Generation, I used to really like Q because my nerddom is really in comic books. And Q was kind of like that Riddler character or like uh, to get even nerdier, the Mr. Mixelpitalik of... Uh, I have that super- written down. That's not too nerdy. <laughs> That's that exactly, yeah. in my notes. He comes the, up very Mr. Mixelpitalik this, this episode. The imp of the fifth dimension or whatever who just comes in to cause mischief and disappears. And uh, I think he might be better in other... I mean, I don't want to get ahead of myself uh, with this episode or whatever, but this and Farpoint, which you guys have already talked about, is uh, an ex- example of Q and his moving goalposts and mm, changing the rules. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to get ahead of our, ourselves, but I'm beginning to like, I, that's why I used to love Q as a kid. And now like, like watching it, it's like, it's very old. It's a very old classic Trek. Yeah. As a lot of these early first uh, season uh, episodes are, they have that kind of vintage Trek feel to it, not the TNG that we kind of eventually come to know and love, which feels much more modern. But I have to actually raise my hand. I, I'm in a I'm in a rare position here on the podcast where a reference just flew right over my head. Mr. Mixel, what a bick. It's um a Superman villain, basically. Uh, um he's a like like Jacob said, kind of impish. He is um pretty much all powerful. Okay. Um, right? But but he's very um mischievous. Um and he has like a it's like a Rumpelstiltskin thing that like if he says his own name backwards then yeah. he gets sent back to his own dimension or something. It's nice. been a while since I've read Superman comic books, but um, yeah. And I don't know if I pronounced his name correctly. It's a combination of Y's and L's and X's and P's. Yeah, I wrote it down. Uh, M- M-X-Y-Z-P-T-L-K. It's, yeah. You've, but he's you've... usually just trying to make Superman look like a fool, and then it, it's very 1950s comics. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. it has the marks of a, a Superman filler episode. Mm. or, or Right story arc well and and that is a i think a pretty apt comparison even though i don't know the character because i've always felt that q comes off as as very comic book-esque in in the way that that he is because he's grandiose and he's um yeah i mean he largely i think john delancey has a huge stage acting background and i think it shows um 
because and he's well suited to this part so to just kind of wrap it up uh if you've gotten to this point in the podcast you've watched the episode along with us but uh enterprise is en route uh at warp factor 9.1 which i always find funny that they get very specific <laughs> that they're like we're you know not warp 9 warp 9.1 um and they're, they're in a, a hurry they, that's right they got to squeeze that extra point one out of there um and there's some sort of medical emergency which i don't think they're super specific but uh they're they're prepping to uh, to save this colony when all of a sudden, oh no, here comes the giant weird sphere thing that uh, I think this might be the last episode that we see that where Q appears as this glowy orb that then surrounds the Enterprise in like a mysterious force field. I think they, they I mean, they totally drop that later, but. Yeah, that's such a weird are you talking about the effect. fence or the snake ball thing? Well, like, the fence, and then eventually he appears as the snake ball thing, which is an Aldebaran serpent, by the way. Oh. Um, which <laughs> yeah, I have wrote down in my notes. Is Q, Q's true form a grid? Like, is that what he really is when he's just out in the universe? Okay, so no. But <laughs> what they say is that uh, the, the Q beings are so incomprehensible to mortals that we have to perceive them as something Senses. else yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of the matrix effect all over again i guess that's the three-dimensional footprint of their being it's a fence whoa you just blew the top right off of my head with that one okay whoa um so anyway q shows up and um he he it sort of immediately starts bagging on picard which i find really funny <laughs> um and then did it I, I have to ask this question. He starts by saying, you know, oh, we have an interest in you, Riker, and I'm like and they're calling it back to like the first episode. Did he really overtly like <laughs> like call out that he was interested in Riker? Because I'm like that kind of seemingly I was like, he he was? Like scratching my head. Uh, on yeah, that one. I I have in my notes, did Riker really interact with Q in the pilot? Like <laughs> not really. Because well, it didn't seem like it. Yeah, because somehow he basically that interaction, that interplay mm-hmm. um, becomes the crux of the episode that uh, Q then sets up a challenge and he whisks away most of the crew, but he leaves Picard because Picard was lipping off to him. And, and then he essentially then sets up a series of challenges that Riker eventually only has to he can only solve by using the power of the Q, which Q grants him because he thinks he's the best question mark and and everything else in the episode sort of revolves around that so yeah Maybe it's because Riker is more hot-headed than Picard because you know he was brought in to be more Kirk-like you know, right. he's the one who gets into fights and whatnot so if Q's trying to understand the human compulsion like he says True. Um, it makes more sense to get the impulsive guy I don't know. I, I don't remember Farpoint that well either, even though I only watched it a few weeks ago. Yeah, it, it it's, just it's it struck me. memorable. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's a ship, and you see it for the first time, and there's just there's octopus. There's space jellyfish. Things, space jellyfish, and, that's, and then Q. It, it does. You make a good point that this it, they've several times in the series so far made tried to tried to make a character Kirk, and it's uh-huh. it's usually Riker. And he feels very much like Kirk when he's down on mm-hmm. the planet, right? It, mm-hmm. it, and and the whole planet thing, we kind of touched on it earlier. Um, it feels very original series, right? Mm-hmm. That like single color sky backdrop <laughs> and like weird rocks and all of that. 
it's very much a planet that they they would go to in an original series episode. Yeah. Right? Even cheaper, it seemed like. It's definitely a soundstage planet. It's like <laughs> you can see the curve of the wall almost. Yeah. And it's yep. basically a green screen. You could almost oh, yeah, you know, yeah. chroma key it out and add a better you know, skyline today. And I'm surprised, you know, someone hasn't done that to sell more DVDs or, you know, special edition like they did with the original series. That'll be in the super, super restoration edition yes, in a couple exactly. of years. And they have rest, uh, they have done restorations to a lot of the, the CG, like the planets and stuff. When they do space shots look great. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that they haven't sort of taken that artistic license to um, to work with, like you mentioned, what is effectively a green screen. The sky is a big green screen. Yeah, the, the I think the only reason, the only effect that they were maybe going for in this was that um, they didn't overtly state it, but they sort of hint at it or, or intimate at it a little bit that the planet probably isn't real at all. Um, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the, the idea behind it is, is probably not only was the scenario created by Q, but probably the whole planet, the vicious animal things uh, that they have to fight and, and everything else was probably just poof you know created by him so i i think maybe they were trying to go for that otherworldly artificial feeling is somebody uh what do you got for snacks is somebody gonna <laughs> somebody it's got... not me <laughs> i was just moving some stuff around i wish i had some snacks that <laughs> <laughs> sounded like it sounded like being at a movie theater where somebody's trying to open a package of milk duds <laughs> wow <laughs> that was kind of amazing um <laughs> speaking of one of my favorite parts of this scene is where um q gives them all things to drink Right. Oh yeah, yes. that's a very gifable moment. I'm surprised there isn't a Worf reaction. Oh man, on the, I'm yeah. sure there is. The internet Worf is filled is so with Trek perfect. In this, this is like the best Worf episode I've ever seen, and I'm not a, like a big Worf fan. I'm sure we'll get into that later. But uh, go on and uh, describe the scene. I didn't want to step on your toes <laughs> there. Yeah, because I mean, essentially, Q uh, when he whisks them away to this planet, they set up a scenario. It's a war game, and they're at the tent, and and Q offers them. Well, he specifically makes a point to offer Riker something, and they're chilling under the tent with some. You know, oldie timey lemonade. Um, <laughs> which that's fun, I guess. And Q is now a French general or something. I can't remember. He's a. He, they make a point of it. He's a marshal because a okay. marshal outranks even an admiral, which an admiral was what he first appeared as on the bridge of the ship. Um, kind of playing off of that whole, you know, Q's character trying to be in a position of authority or, or always appearing as somebody in authority. He eventually. I think later always appears as a Starfleet captain, uh, mm. which is interesting. But, but anyway, he Riker says, you know, well, what about my companions or my compatriots? As he's sipping on his, you know, OG lemonade, and uh, Q just says, oh, whatever they'd like, of course. And a, and a drink appears in everyone's hands. The other thing that I thought was really funny is in Data's hand, it looks like motor oil. Like it looks like <laughs> just a glass of fancy glass of motor oil. That's what oh, robots man. drink. Yeah. And that would be a very Q thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> just that get would him be some, very fitting with his character. Some bleep, 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 bleep but, lemonade or some but, motor oil there. Yep. But Worf, as Paul mentioned, just pours it out. Like uh, pours one out for its homies. And it's, yep. uh, yeah. Oh, and, and then, forget, not only growls he, at that point too, right? Yeah, he pours it out. He growls, and then he whips the glass so they can <laughs> throw in a very comical like oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> glass break sound effect. Oh, man. Classic, classic. So it, it, this is the beginning of the game. Q is wanting to play, even though like because the episode's even called Hide and Q, 
which suggests mm-hmm. like a game, even though they're not playing hide and seek. So I was no. very disappointed. That's a real bait and switch. Yes. Uh, by the writers of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I really like the episode Tic Tac Q. Tic Tac Q. Yeah. Is that for real? <laughs> no, I hope not. <laughs> Why, it's it's in the it's in fanfic, but I wouldn't recommend looking it up. It's, it wouldn't uh... have surprised me because that's how you know what a Q episode is because they you know they just replace one of the words with Q, even yep. if it's not a pun or makes any sense like uh, this episode we're discussing now, hide in Q. Yep, and the game is not a game at all. Like I just want to throw that out there, <laughs> right? That like it's really just don't die which is yeah. the worst game like there the deadliest are, game it, it, it is yes but i mean he doesn't i guess i was kind of hoping for q to to really i don't know create some sort of inventive scenario yeah. or or have them you know put to the test in some interesting unique way instead he's like there's gross pigs over there and they have laser muskets and they f- are going to kill you, and that's it. Worf refers to them as vicious animal things. Yes. That's as specific as he gets. Yep. Like, they've seen all these aliens in this world. He's a Klingon. Like, he's got these sharp teeth, yet he calls them vicious animal things. I just found that another great Worf moment <laughs> for this episode. Because <laughs> he says I, they, I, he goes on reconnaissance, which mm-hmm. Worf as a scout is the most hilarious <laughs> thing ever. Yeah. Because on his way back, they're testing to see if their phasers work, and <laughs> Worf just jumps out of nowhere and he's like Drop your weapons! I'm afraid that was me, Worf. I was checking to see if the phasers still operate. Incredible, Worf. He came out of nowhere. A warrior's reaction. And they're all complimenting him on it, which I thought was nice of them. Yeah, how good you were at stopping us from doing that. <laughs> so just to briefly rehash again, uh, the people who are sent down to this planet are Riker, Worf, Data, Jordy, and initially Tasha Yar. But she, like, mouths off or something, right? Yep. And be- gets sent to the penalty box. Yeah, because she's uh... sassy and isn't going to take anything from nobody. Um, <laughs> because they still don't know what to do with that character. Um, and... She gets whisked away to this thing that gets brought up and then is really dropped pretty quickly. Like, I I have the impression that a lot of these early season one episodes, there's a lot of, like, like ideas coming in the writer's room. And they just kind of go with some of them and don't really carry them to fruition because I know a little bit of the behind the scenes drama of this episode. I don't know if this is the time to get into it or not. Well, maybe. I mean, we're talking writers room, so okay. dish. Well, if you noticed in the credits at the very beginning, it says it's written by CJ Holland mm-hmm. and Gene Roddenberry, story by CJ Holland. CJ Holland doesn't exist. Uh, it was a pseudonym for Maurice Hurley who um, is a controversial figure in the writer's room. He was eventually the showrunner. Uh, he's the reason Gates McFadden left over season two. She didn't like the way he treated her or whatever. One of the reasons. I'm sure there were other factors. Um, he, he he didn't have a background in um, science fiction. He worked for, like, the Equalizer or something, but he was, like, a buddy with Gene. He would always be smoking cigars with Gene or whatever. But him and Gene had a fight over this episode, and Gene took it from him and basically rewrote it so he wanted to take his name off of it. So oh. uh, that's why it's C.J. Holland. And apparently, the, like, 
the kerfluffle over this episode led to changes in the TNG writing room. This is all stuff I got from the source of all sources, Wikipedia. <laughs> nice. But uh, uh, so I think it kind of uh, the kerfluffle led to changes in the writers' room where. Um, Roddenberry got a little less ed- editorial control because it was upsetting other writers. Um, they apparently, you know, became buddies or, you know, mended fences because um, Hurley became showrunner, like, later on, like, I think through season two, maybe? I don't know. Hmm. Keep your eyes open, you know, for his name and the credits going on. But he, you know, he created, he co-wrote the episode with Lore. The data Is Data Lore the first one? or Data Lore, the- I believe, was the first episode with Lore in it, yeah. Yep. And and the Borg, which I think is another Q episode. Yes, like, the, the first introduction out. of the Borg is, uh, I forget, is it uh, Q squared or something like that? I'm trying to remember. That would make sense because um, they're in a square. Yeah, <sighs> I, I can't remember that one. Anyway, um, that, that makes a ton of sense now with that piece in there because it does feel like there are all these threads and some of them just get dropped because the idea of the, the penalty box is essentially when... And and this is a ton of exposition that I still, while watching the episode, I was like, how did she know that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, she lips off to Q, she winds up on the bridge, and then explains to Picard this abstract penalty of what her being on the bridge yeah, is. She's just like, oh, yeah, I just know it. Or It sounds weird. It sounds weird or something. <laughs> like, I forget what she actually says, but she says it a few times. Like, it sounds weird, but this is exactly what it is. It sounds strange. But I'm in a penalty box. The penalty box? Q's penalty box. It sounds strange, but it definitely isn't. I know that one more penalty by anyone, and I'm gone. Gone? Yes, I am gone. What happens is she's there in the penalty box, which is the bridge, and the concept is that there's only room for one person in the penalty box, and if somebody Mm. else lips off to Q, poof, they get put into the penalty box, and Tasha Yar just basically, like, ceases to exist or goes into nothingness. Um, so it was meant as a real keep you in line kind of thing, which on its nose or, or, you know, on its, on its, you know, face there, I guess, is kind of a, a cool concept, but then they just drop it like it just nothing happens with it it turns the planet into a real sausage party is what it does yep (laughs) and then when she's on the bridge with picard uh this was one of the weirdest scenes she starts crying because again this character is very illy defined yes um she just starts bawling and then picard like says some nice words and she says if you weren't a captain you know, yeah. like she wants to like jump him right there. I was like, it was really a off. You know, it took me off guard a little bit. Like, man, she had like love interest with like everybody on that bridge. It seemed. Yeah, they like. have. Yeah. They have yet nine episodes in to show that they have any competence in writing a female character, yes. right? In at all and. Well, Troy's not even in this episode. Yeah, they were just like, oh, we dropped off Troy somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did they? Was like, that in the captain's log or something? Did yeah, they that's, say? that's like first first sentence. It's like, oh, we're, we're we just dropped off Troy at you know <laughs> the Starbucks, and <laughs> she cool sensed some hours, savings, so. and uh, and then that was that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a real problem, I think, in this first season because the. Um, a lot of the the female characters in Trek really kind of. 
um, especially in the late 80s, early 90s, eventually become to be really well-defined characters who show empowering figures of what like a 24th century future probably should be. But it feels really out of place in this first season because (laughs) they're just doing weird stuff and they all come off as uh, female characters who are written by dudes who have no concept how to write for yeah. women and it's, well, and it's just all these negative female stereotypes over and over yeah. that they just keep just keep hanging that hat on like oh i guess this is what women do guys <laughs> in the, all the other guys in this writing room i would imagine yeah right yep and it's right around this point in the episode where things start to happen very fast and um, it's it's just it kind of falls into that season one trap too, where it's like there's a ton of exposition on the front half of the episode, and then the back half of the episode feels like a series of resolutions that either don't make sense or happen too quickly or are just confusing because essentially they just they resolve all these pieces like rapid fire, boom, 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 like the 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 two sides are moving towards each other in the game. This is like back on the planet where the crew who's left going towards the vicious animal things. And then Riker's like, no. Uh, and he, does he first save them? And then they go yeah, back to the sends, planet. He sends them. No, he sends them all back to the ship. Yeah. And then I forget how this plays out, but they come back later and that's when, they're fighting again, but they don't have phasers or anything. And then Wes yeah. is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but right. that's later. Yeah, because okay, so, so essentially, Riker's alone with Q on the planet when right. Q gives that's him right. his whole spiel about I'm going to give you the power of the Q and you're going to help us crack the mystery of the human equation. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, that's right. Because um, essentially, to resolve it, Q shows up as the creepiest looking data ever. Oh, which man, <laughs> it is so creepy. That was horrifying. Oh. <laughs> like it's supposed nightmare to be nightmare fuel. Yeah. <laughs> completely yeah, it's boy. supposed to be data data turns around and it's john delancey just oh my god that's terrifying he's in all of the data makeup but he looks weird um and and that's when he says like you have to save them you have to use the power of the queue whisk they're gone everybody's back on the enterprise enterprise powers up there's no force field stopping them they can go wherever they want but there's no Riker. and that's when Riker and q have that discussion and yeah yep. uh, jacob just as you said um that's when Q kind of lays it out. He tips his hand a little bit. So this is another one. I've, uh, I forget what other episodes I've harped on this, but it's another one of those episodes, and, and maybe this goes back to that TOS feel. Um, but it, it feels like this is a ship that is crewed by like 10 people, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it, and it's because they send them all down, and Picard's like, oh, I'm the only one left on the ship. And like, oh, well, there's like seven people on the surface, and huh. Troy's gone, and I guess Wes isn't there. But... I guess that's it, yeah. right? Like, yep. this is another one of those episodes that makes it feel really weird. Um, and and even at that point, when they're like, "Oh, Riker's gone," I guess we should find him because he's one tenth of our crew. Like, <laughs> just really, really, really gives that feel that this ship has no one on it. And especially given the fact that um, one of the things that was one of the central tenets of the show was supposed to be this is part of it being the next generation is it's a, a more massive starship it's a galaxy class starship it's a floating city in space and they do such a terrible job of selling that you're right it's mm. just it's like well and there's been episodes where they've done that well right mm-hmm. where where they've they've shown random shots i think that was in where no one has gone before um yeah they yep. do those random shots of people and it's like oh yeah there's people mm. on this ship 
but they they seem to forget to go back to that or maybe it was production order or something like that but it feels like a missed opportunity every time yep yep and and the so when everybody's back on the ship and then you know Q and Riker are doing their thing Riker eventually says like he just he doesn't want to do it he's he's like he's not buying it he doesn't want to do it and that's when um Q kind of takes his revenge and he uh Q disappears the bridge crew that all got saved now show back up on the planet's surface but this time they're totally screwed they have no weapons they've got no phasers no nothing they're the the cre- the vicious animal things are quickly upon them um and in a kind of horrifyingly brutal way they're all bayoneted like just oh, yeah. <laughs> like especially Wes like yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, another Wes gif really I'm sure fun. that's on the internet somewhere yes well and I would like to point out I'm on uh, memory alpha right now the uh, Star Trek wiki and there's a still of Wesley like mid being stabbed and the <laughs> caption underneath it says Wesley gets the point and I'm like come on guys <laughs> Wow, really come on guys <laughs> Um, and then Riker has the lamest superpower arm throw move ever. Um, when he says, I think he says, damn it, no, actually. He's like, damn it, no. And then he takes his arm and like throws it above his head, kind of almost like a drunken ballet dancer. It's the most <laughs> bizarre move I've ever seen. He just, he puts his whole body into it and just like rolls with it. Mm. And then yeah, I would have loved, I'd loved to have seen like the stage direction on this, like what it said in the notes. Right. Like imagine your hand is full of glitter and you want to just throw it as high up into the air as possible. <laughs> like that's kind of what he does, right? He's just like, ooh, hey, poof. But then a, a big fence appears. You're like, oh, yep, yep. And then he he basically he fences off the critters. He teleports everybody back to the ship, and everybody's now unstabbed and alive. And is that the point where he's standing there with his arms like oh, God, crossed, yes, yeah, looking so. like the biggest jerk <laughs> from the biggest jerk store? He looks like uh, he looks like genie from Aladdin. Very much so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. very much so. And yeah. at this point, Picard gets really kind of smug towards Riker. Like through the from this that point on to the rest of the episode, like Riker yes. explains, I have the power of the Q, and Picard, you know, isn't like like trying to help him deal with it or anything he's just like already like no he's like very he's dismissive like, and kind of rude to the guy yeah i don't know yeah he's yeah, like well that seems like that'll be inconvenient <laughs> i think in a later episode the concept of Riker getting the power of q would have happened in like the first act and then we would have seen you know different instances where that power would be a gift or a curse Mm-hmm. And in this case, it happens past the halfway point, and we get like one really, you know, kind of powerful scene where they finally make it to the mining disaster, and uh, there's a, a young girl who's injured, and Riker has to make the choice of whether he should, you know, bring her back to life or not. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so that's like the one like poignant moral dilemma I think in the entire episode and it just feels like such a small part of it because there's so much other nonsense with the animal shit animal things and uh, (laughs) the big finale which I'm sure we'll get around to well and it feels a big part of this feels like that that 80s mentality of jam it all into one episode Mm -hmm. right that Mm -hmm. that if you were envisioning this being played out in a modern series um, you'd probably have an episode where you got this power Maybe toward maybe in a late act, 
uh, mm. really close to the end of an episode. And then a few episodes where it's it's sort of a subplot of like, okay, I have this power and I guess I'm going to try not to use it. Um, and just have that kind of linger um, while some other stuff goes on. And then a few episodes later, you have like something really bad happen and, and then push them to that point of, okay, I have to use this power. Like I have this and I can't hold back. And then all the fallout from that. But that would take a bunch of mm-hmm. episodes to do it right. Otherwise, you are just cramming it into this forty-minute block, and it feels super rushed. Even even without all that animal animal stuff in there. Well, and, um, and in fact, it, it would feel rushed. Yeah, you you point you point it. You make an excellent point, both of you, about how this episode really has you know just way too much clutter. And in fact, the episode that you're talking about, the hypothetical, if it were a better episode. I think kind of does exist, and it's the 132nd episode. Uh, oh, gosh. It's, uh, it's called True Q. It's in season six. It's the episode where um, there's a young woman who comes aboard the Enterprise who it's eventually revealed that her parents were Q. Um, yeah, and her yeah. Q powers start to manifest. And the entire episode revolves around essentially kind of some of the same elements there is i believe a planet i i didn't look this up ahead of time i'm trying oh, to remember yeah, it's yeah, top that's my a head. good episode yeah it's a very good episode and, and there she's put to lots of challenges and and her interaction with q is good and the entire crux of the episode is her wrestling with the idea do i embrace the power of the q or do i stay true to who i was it's almost exactly the same episode just totally way better with different like different <laughs> characters moved around same idea uh, completely better execution because there's not all this other like weird BS hanging it, you know, kind of dragging it down. Well, um, I want to watch that one. Thanks, guy. <laughs> Come back in like four years. That's right. <laughs> right. We'll still be recording episodes. Um, but it, it's, I think what's funny about this is um, I think this series in its very early stages had a lot of like weird uh, awkward pulls on it where I think Gene Roddenberry's influence on it was probably too strong to start and the writing team that they had was not probably quite right for what they were what they were trying to do and this episode kind of kind of has all that because there's some good elements in it and there's some good ideas yeah they're just really weirdly executed well um, and they're still it comes back to the point earlier they're trying to find Kirk they're trying yeah. to yep. shoehorn a Kirk into this yep. into a script that that should have had a Kirk um, the resolution of this episode we have to talk about. Yes, um, it's, yeah. I think that's really it's the insane. crux of all of it, right? It's the, the like, <laughs> oh, Riker's on the bridge with everybody else, and we're going to talk this out. Yeah. <laughs> and talk it out with the weirdest show and tell ever. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> the weirdest show and, and tell. Yeah, man. I, feel, I really felt like Beverly, like she had it right. Where she's just like, yeah, let's Wes, let's let's just leave, let's just go. <laughs> yeah, because let's, I don't want to be here anymore. Because uh, I believe it's Q who Q shows up, um, you know, because this is the point where where Riker has totally like, no, I'm all that. I can be the I can be the power of the Q. I I should embrace this power, and that's when Q shows up to kind of you know nudge him and and really seal the deal. And I think it's Q who says to him, you know, you should give your friends a gift, a parting gift or something. And then that's when Picard, I guess, knowingly realizing how well this is going to go, you know, says, yes, quite right. You know, give them a gift or something like that. And so then Riker (laughs) just goes around and, and starts using his magical powers to give what he assumes people would have always you get wanted. get a car, and you get a car. <laughs> so he makes Wesley a man. Yes. A, a, 
like a Sears model man. Uh, <laughs> he also makes him a a similar sweater to what he was wearing, but in a larger size, which is just as impressive. And there's images but out still there. Still, Will Wheaton's voice. That's the funny thing. When he eventually talks, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, are they going to give this actor any lines? Because otherwise, they have to pay him, right? My the actor question, would get residual. Uh, go ahead. My big question would be: Do you think that that Will Wheaton? When they filmed this episode, they pulled him off the set. They put that guy there. You think he just stood there and was like, yeah, that's right. It's going to be me in 10 years. <laughs> looks just like him. Do you, think, do you think that was what was going through Will Wheaton's mind when this happened? That's what that is the million dollar question I want to answer. And I think in 10 years, what's funny is he doubled in mass. Oh, yeah. It's like, wow. And I think uh, it's uh, I think it's Jordy who says, hey, Wes, not bad. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> yeah, you're a completely different guy. There's there's images out there that actually put that uh, a, adult, quote unquote, Wesley Crusher next to an adult Will Wheaton. <laughs> and it's like, nailed it. You know, against Will Wheaton. I, I, I really like Will Wheaton. But man, 10 years yeah, down that road. Like, what road was that? Yep. For Will Wheaton. That's uh, yeah. Sorry, Jacob, so, you were saying something there. Oh no. Well, I I believe in television for day players. If you get a line of dialogue, you have you get paid residuals, and so that's why there will be so many coffee people. You know, if a character goes on the Flash and someone hands them a co- cup of coffee at J J Jitters or whatever the place is called, they won't have a line because all of a sudden he's not just an extra; he's a paid actor. Uh. So. I, I was the whole time I was watching like is the adult Wesley gonna say anything because he doesn't until nope. like <laughs> until what he comes up and adult says adult Wesley done like what else has he done in his life that's a good question I would have to <laughs> consult a database of some sort if only there was one on the <laughs> internet, sort of internet. <laughs> um, but, but, I mean I wanted to talk about Jordy's wish yeah um, it's the most obvious thing because yeah. he's blind that's his defining character characteristic at this point and the first thing he does other than you know look at a sun or something on the view screen is turn to Tasha Yar again and and talks about (laughs) how beautiful she is I forgot about (laughs) that yeah so again I don't know if that's followed up with at all but it's just funny that she's like the love interest of everyone except for maybe Riker because you know Troy but they I mean, like, are his eyes really that different that like oh i can't tell what a human looks like i was just sort of guessing yeah i guess I'm, you are beautiful i mean they make a point of it to they they've done they do a couple of episodes and i think they've done a couple of things where they show you know geordie vision basically and it's like uh you know it's not quite predator vision but it's <laughs> pretty close <laughs> like he just sees like shapes and outlines and weird ghost figures and stuff but he can also see like the electromagnetic spectrum which is weird when you think about it because it's like wouldn't it just be easier to give him a camera (laughs) and like wire that to his brain but but whatever people in the 80s were like yeah that's probably how you see i guess with future glasses um so yeah if anybody cares uh adult wesley was played by an actor named william a wallace who was in this episode of Star Trek and a 2002 episode of The Young and the Restless. Hmm. And that's it. Wow. I mean, that was a so, hell of a break. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. Poor guy. He's quite couldn't make it work, no, I guess. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Uh, that's according to a d- database of uh, internet movie variety. Aha. Uh-huh. So. Well, it's got to be right. It's on the internet. Um, there. Let's see. So yeah, Jordy gets eyes, and then he says, uh, "I believe the thing that he says is um, the price is too high. He doesn't like who he would have to thank. Yeah. So change mm-hmm. me back. 
the question I had on watching this, um, and maybe maybe it's a cynical question. So Jordy's not the first one. They I think they go to Wes and then I don't know, maybe even Worf is Remember next? what they give to Worf? Yeah, and I well, <laughs> yeah. granted uh, They give J- him a woman. Jordy is later and I wonder, like it, it made me wonder if he had given Jordy the gift first, if Jordy would have been more, more receptive. Because it really felt like the whole crew had already turned against the first few gifts because they were kind of dumb. And Jordy's <laughs> was a thoughtful thing. Yeah. Jordy could see how handsome adult Wesley was, but he <laughs> yeah, never he's like, noticed oh, how beautiful Tasha Yar is. Oh, man. <laughs> if he had just walked in, like he didn't see that Wes had gotten the, that gift, and he walked in late. <laughs> And then he took, he got his eyes. He's like, wow, Wes, you look a lot different than I thought. The whole episode basically comes to its conclusion when um, uh, Q turns to adult giant meat man Wesley um, right before he changes him back and, and says, you know, I, I, you know, Commander Riker, I please change me back. And I believe Q says, but it's easier, boy. Listen to Riker, continuing the theme of them calling him boy, awkwardly. Yeah. Um, and that's the moment where Riker realizes he's made a mistake. And my one of the one of the fun parts of this episode is when Riker turns to Picard, and I believe he says something to the effect of like, "I feel like such an idiot." And without hesitation, Picard says, "Quite right. So you should." He's really a dick to Riker. <laughs> Just a total a hole. Um, but the the resolution is uh picard basically wins the bet i guess the wager mm. and says haha he didn't fall for it so be gone with you and poof then he's gone and they warp out of there it's it's and a i think that's the part that felt really mr miserplick right mm-hmm. that's the part where it feels like q gets sucked away because somebody tricked him which seems weird too for a number of reasons like it's one of those where it happens so fast that i think like audiences probably don't stop to question it but really every part of the deal up to this point he's reneged on and or changed the rules so why would he suddenly be like Meah! and gone <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the big problem with q like q as a character or any of these godlike characters in star trek because they can just make up the rules as they go mm-hmm. and you know it people refer to star trek as you know hard science fiction sometimes and really when you have these godlike beings it's it might as well be fantasy yeah but i I don't know that's a whole other tangent i don't want to get on to either but the episode like q disappears and then like there's two lines one about space and time being simpler than the human equation (laughs) and then end credits it's like it's it feels really rushed at the end but yeah and that's the episode i guess and then it's done yeah so there i mean there are some things that work in it i think what we're starting to figure out is i mean q comes back for a reason and he is fun Mm. to watch so Mm. even some of the parts of the episode that just don't work it's still kind of it kind of drags you along because john delancey's q i think is is interesting enough and and dynamic enough and his interactions with the crew make them feel more human i think than some of their other (laughs) situations mm-hmm. do um but i think this seems like a good part to start to i mean we've talked about a few different things but but we like to wrap these up by talking about our, our high points and our low points uh you know our bests and our worsts and mm-hmm. i think for an episode like this we can cherry pick a lot of worsts but to try to end on a high note we'll we'll wrap there so i guess we'll start with the worsts and jacob mm-hmm. you're our you're our guest so what is your what's the worst part of this episode for you as you are watching it 
Oh gosh! Oh, like uh, I think I I hit on the ones I wanted to very. I I really didn't like the look of the soundstage planet, but you justified mm-hmm. it pretty well by saying it's supposed to be artificial. So I guess I'm going to go with the treatment of Tasha Yar, especially her yeah. performance on the bridge with uh, Picard when she just like I'm just a girl and starts crying, uh, <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. ends it up flirting with uh, Picard. So if I had to pick one, it would be that moment. What in the hell am I doing? Crying? Don't worry. There is a new ship standing order on the bridge. When one is in the penalty box, tears are permitted. (laughs) Captain. Oh, if you weren't a captain. Yeah, that's pretty low. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Paul, how about you? Your worst moment? Yeah, I, I mean that's what I had written down. Um, it, I mean, <laughs> Jacob keeps keeps uh, co-opting me on a lot of these things, but I think I kind of have to stick with that one. Like, it's just it it's more and more of the same bad handling of of not just Tasha but female characters. And um, nine episodes in, it's getting old, and it's it's just. It really speaks to that they don't know how to write these characters and um i don't know it's just weird too like you said the whole monologue where she's like hey it's weird but i know all this stuff so i'm gonna tell you about it like nothing about that scene is written well yeah yeah for for my worst uh i'm gonna drag out like the whole b plot um of the episode which is essentially the whole there's a planet in trouble and we have to do that like it's not only there's a b plot (laughs) yeah it's not only like not a good b plot because i mean it's just pretty generic and whatever but it's also it it, it, where it's supposed to add drama to the episode it fails on almost every regard like it's literally i think the only thing it successfully does is it has that moment where riker's like i could have saved her but picard was like no um but yeah, and, but I and, didn't out of spite. Yeah, and that is like even that just seems weird, and it makes everyone unlikable because it makes like Riker kind of a jerk, and it makes you know, I mean, it's just none of it works, and and it seems to clutter up an already cluttered episode. Because I think at its core, there's an interesting conversation to be had about godlike powers and what happens when mm-hmm. when you when you have that ability. What's you know because there, there's a lot of ground you can cover there. That's a classic tale. And could have been done pretty successfully with this ensemble, and indeed does later, as we kind of talked about in in a future episode. But here, it's just, there's just too much. And that B-plot was kind of the icing on the cake for me, where it's like, what are they even doing with this? It just doesn't make any sense, so... So that's mine, but to switch gears a little bit, so let's let's redeem it a little bit, let's find something good. What's, what's the best part about this episode? And, and Jacob, you go first. I'm going to let Paul go first. I don't want to co-op, man. There you go. Because <laughs> I feel like there's a there's a low-hanging fruit here, okay. and, and it's it's Worf. Yeah. It's, it's Worf's interactions, and specifically Worf's interactions with Q. Um, that dynamic is um, this great contrasting of characters that, that like, Picard plays along with Q. Um, and they, they develop that relationship where while Picard doesn't like it, like he plays the game and Worf is so interested in playing the game. <laughs> mm-hmm. Worf, Worf wouldn't, if he was the captain, it would be a whole different story. Yeah. And from the starting bits where 
Q says, macro head, micro brain. Yeah. <laughs> Worf just, just stares and growls. And it's like, oh man, this is this is the relationship I want to watch. I don't care about Riker, like this weird caricature of Riker that we have in this episode. And this this beginnings of this Picard relationship with Q that doesn't really get any screen time. Like the the Worf Q relationship is the one I want to watch, because that one, man. And it goes through the whole episode, the the pouring out of the drink, like, oh, so good. And there are seeds there that they kind of, they then sow a little bit later. There's there, one of my favorite laugh lines in all of Star Trek The Next Generation. It won't happen for many, many episodes from now. It's another Q episode where he shows up on the bridge. And, uh, uh, oh, it's the episode where Q uh, is made human. He's made mortal as oh, yeah, punishment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and Q asks, you know, I'm mortal. What must I do to prove it to you? And Worf, without <laughs> hesitation, yep. die. Die. And, and yep. Q immediately responds with, oh, very good, Worf. Eat any good books lately? And it's every time it kills me. And it's uh, I, I, I kind of it makes me sad a little bit because there are some really good moments. But that that interaction on screen is just it's comedy gold. Like, it's just yeah, it's just it's perfect. It's really yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, Jacob, how about you? So to add to that, I just think there are some very good, funny moments, and a lot of them involve Worf. Uh, just to add to them, um, I think when his his woman comes out, when Riker makes a Klingon woman appear, I think it's Jordy who asks, is this your idea of sex? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great line. Um, and then at one point, Picard refers to Q as a flim-flam man. Yep. And I can't remember if it's Worf or Data who go flim flam man. It's Worf. I think it's Worf. It's, yeah. I think it's Worf. So that's another funny moment. Uh, and I think just Q, as portrayed by John Delancey, is a hoot. And even when he's being big and dramatic and not funny, quote unquote, he's humorous because he's so big. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. Number one uh, with a bullet is probably Delancey as Q for the episode. Even nice. the scene, even though it serves no narrative purpose uh, with Picard in the book and them going back and forth yeah. uh, in that. So I, I hope I didn't steal yours now. Well, uh, you've, for... you've, you've hit upon it. That, is, that, was my, that was my highlight from the episode is, is the scene where, and it's like right in the middle of like the second act. Um, I think it's before Tasha Yar shows up even. Mm. Uh, Picard's chilling on the Enterprise. Q shows up and just starts talking to him. And he's reading through his Shakespeare library. And he says, uh, you know, starts quoting stuff at him. And they have this rapport back and forth about Shakespeare, about the nature of man. And and what it reveals, and I, what I almost wonder is if it also revealed to the writers, that's the relationship right there. The, the, that for all of his superior powers, for all of his abilities... Picard has the ability to kind of keep Q on his toes um, and he's able to kind of you know almost match sabers with him almost when when they have these exchanges and they're both such good actors when given material to, to, to really run with they can they can really choose some scenery I mean they can they can really make something happen there and it's only for a brief moment and then we go back to the to the Q Riker stuff which doesn't really work as well but there's that brief shining moment um where Picard basically kind of gets Q's goat because Q tries to, you know, point out, 
you know, how lame humanity is. Even Shakespeare wrote it so well. And then Picard has that nice quote about, you know, what a piece of work is man, how noble in reason. And, and he, you know, Picard asserts, like, I see us one day becoming that. And so does Q. And that's why he's scared. And that's why he's there. And it's a very cool scene because Picard's onto him. Picard knows what his game is. Um, and it's just, it's neat because it's like that moment lifted out of this episode and placed in the middle of season three or four would totally work would totally make sense so it's like it was that at that moment where i was like yep it gelled they got it they figured it out so now more of that and less of vicious animal things and whatever <laughs> else you're gonna do so there, there was a lot of shakespeare reference there i have in my notes um a question to myself without a, a citation or any other evidence <laughs> um did q just make a jurassic park reference this is a question that I wrote while watching the episode. and <laughs> Considering Jurassic I, Park came out I don't many... Think it, I don't... Well, the movie did, but the book came out earlier, right? Uh. So I, I don't know what it is, and, and I don't think it's just Shakespeare's parts, but um, <laughs> maybe that's a challenge to you listeners. Hmm. <laughs> Figure out what I was thinking when I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, uh, I think it's good to, uh, to wrap here. Finally, the, the thing we like to do when we, we bring it all to a close is... Um, What's the difficulty level of this episode? What's what's the challenge level? Is this an episode that you could recommend to someone who is just getting into Star Trek as something they should put on their watch list? Or is this something that is best avoided? Um, Do you have a watch ironically list? Or watch... <laughs> you can make that case. I mean, you can make that case. Yeah, you can make I case. think there's enough laughable moments with this. Wesley getting stabbed, Worf... Um, yeah, that's hilarious. If you if you got a drink, <laughs> if you took a drink every time uh, someone said penalty box, I think you would have a good time watching this episode. That's fair. So, so I, I don't know. It's not a good episode, but I was entertained. I watched it twice, and I didn't, you know, hate you guys for it. So <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm. I would put it low on the list. That's certainly. the best compliment we've gotten while doing this <laughs> podcast so far. Thank you. Um, but what about you guys? Yeah, Paul, You've go been ahead. watching more of these early ones than so, I have. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I was surprised at how wishy-washy I felt while trying to figure out what answer I wanted to give to this before we started recording. Um, because I'm a big Q fan. I really like John Delancey. I like that whole, um, that whole interplay between all these characters. Um, and then and I'm, and I'm still like kind of lukewarm, but I think... As I look back at the other episodes, um, these episodes that came before this, um, there are there have been some good ones, but they've been sparse, um, and they've also been the ones that are that are sort of heavier. Um, mm -hmm. Those are the ones that they've really sort of hit out of the, the park so far. Mm -hmm. So this one, I mean, this is this is filler, obviously, um, at least at this point. I mean, Q is not always filler, filler, but this is filler. Um, so part of me wants to say, you know, eh, you could kind of skip it, but I, I think it's the right kind of filler and that right kind of like lightheartedness at the right time. Like if you've watched a few of these um, and you've skipped some of the really bad ones, but you've watched some of these heavy plot driven ones, um, this, this would be refreshing, I think, at this point in the series. Um, mm -hmm. So I think, I, think it's a, I think it's watchable at this point. Um, and that that would kind of be the the tipping point with that that refreshing nature of this, among other good episodes that are different. This has a much different feel than those. And and while a lot of the characters are handled oddly, 
right? This does not feel like Riker. This this weird, um, this weird smug Riker that is immediately smug the second he gets these powers. Um, the weird things with Yar, like <sighs> weird um, Q data. Um, there's some weird stuff. <laughs> I, I think it's all mm-hmm. it's all redeemable in the the guise of this like weird filler episode. So yeah. I'm saying shit. I am going to round out the three and I'll say watch it too. And the the reason for it is um, <clears throat> I think anything with Q for next generation has to almost be required viewing because mm. even a bad Q episode is still a Q episode and, and, and Q plays such an interesting component in the series that, I mean, he really, there's so much more going on, but he was such an important shaping factor in the series that they literally chose to bookend the series with him that he starts starts the series he ends the series and so i think it's it's required viewing to watch because the seeds are there in this episode of what tng will become and i think it's important to watch some of these and watch them kind of take a bunch of swings and miss on a fair few of them if only to appreciate what happens when they start hitting later mm. and if you're somebody who you know has a really low tolerance for bs then obviously you know that this is kind of you know it's watch with a caveat but if if you know if anybody's really going to survive watching tng they can probably handle hide and cue yeah. Um, if if it's you know properly you know thrown out there is look this episode isn't great but there's some interesting stuff in there. Well, so and if, it's, if it. it's thrown out there is a fun one. Like there's nothing about warp coils. There's no right. port in the cells. There's none of that in this episode. And yep. if you just sit down and say, oh, this is going to be a fun one. <laughs> this is let's mix popcorn and watch them all do stupid stuff. Um, this is a perfect one for that. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So I would say I would say watch it. Um, so hopefully you enjoyed our discussion of it. I, I really had a lot of fun with this one, rewatching it again, because there's so much about this episode and some of these early episodes that I forgot. Um, and and yeah. in talking about it, even there's still stuff that just didn't stick with me until we until we brought it up. So, uh, there's things I'd like to forget. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of that, too. <laughs> there's plenty of that, too. But, but Jacob, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. Yeah, yeah thank you guys for inviting me. Um, and I want to put a brief plug in for my film podcast film cast without a cause uh where we do bi-weekly film reviews and discussions we're watching all the rocky movies i know this will drop way after we're done doing that but uh we're on rocky v this week so nice. that'll what's be your fun. favorite rocky what's your favorite rocky? Uh, off the cuff uh, the best one's the first one but rocky there, three right is, answer yeah there you go nice. and i think five is underrated uh, the, that's a spoiler but uh, that's okay there you go <laughs> all right <laughs> But thanks, thanks for letting me get my plug in. Absolutely, oh, yeah, no problem. you would be we 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 would be remiss if we did not offer you the opportunity to plug your your excellent podcast and uh, Aww, yeah, be sure to kind. check it out and uh, lots of past Go episodes see Rocky too. in theaters, I guess. <laughs> right, Creed, <laughs> that? Creed Rocky Are we a little late Seven. On that? Yeah, yeah, no. actually. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and again, revenge. Yeah, and again, Jacob, thanks, <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us. Thank thanks you. And uh, until next time, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And this has been the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. Interesting cue. Oh, thank you very much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Perhaps maybe a little uh, Hamlet? Oh, no, I know Hamlet. And what he might say with irony, I say with conviction. What a piece of work is man. How noble in reason. How infinite in faculty. In form, in moving. How express and admirable. In action, how like an angel. In apprehension, how like a god. Surely you don't see your species like that, do you? 
I see us one day becoming that cute. Is it that which concerns you? Thank <laughs> you.